Hello, and welcome to the 10th episode of Sanity Optional. Woohoo, we made it to 10! In celebration, I'm going to talk about things that happened 10 years ago in May. Warning, this may make you feel old. I'm also going to talk about one of my favorite subjects ever, S.P. Ace Space. But first, I want to say that I'm so grateful. interrupt this program to bring you a special historical extragalactic news bulletin. The year is 2011. The time is a month known as May. The place? A small blue planet in the middle of an insignificant star system orbiting a black hole in one of billions of galaxies. This puny blue planet, which the tribal locals have named Earth, experiences some major events. These events do not impact the whole of the planet, nor all of its inhabitants. Nevertheless, they were deemed important enough to be recorded in their history, even though, in the grand scheme of things, they don't really matter. According to their history, on May the 1st, the 265th Pope beatified the 264th Pope. Boy, I hope that means they fought to the death in some grand arena. What a sight that would be! Deadly elderly man to elderly man combat using croziers! That isn't what happened. Wait, what? What do you mean it isn't what happened? Is it even more epic than that, Timmy? No. Beatification is when the Pope declares that a dead person is in a state of bliss, which constitutes the first step towards canonization and permitting public veneration. Ah, cannons! I love cannons! They are such a blast to use! Ion cannons are my favorite! What's yours, Timmy? Uh, no, that's not what canonization means. Uh, well, of course it does, Timmy, but never mind that. We must move on to the next historical piece. On May the 2nd, Osama bin Laden. Why was he laden with a bin? What was he carrying in the bin? What is historic about carrying a bin? Lots of people carry bins. Bin Laden, sir. What? Osama bin Laden is his name. Oh, that makes more sense in the general context of what came next. Okay. Osama bin Laden, who was the mastermind behind the terrorist attacks of the September 11, 2001, is killed by U.S. Special Forces in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Ooh, a terrorist! This is such truly a backwater world. Good to see that the bastard deserved what he got. Hopefully they vaporized him. Just bullets, sir. Bullets? Oh, why bullets? They leave such a mess behind. Vaporization is much more civilized. No mess. No body. No clean-up of any kind. Just go about your day and enjoy the smell of the Delvarian flowers. Eh, why didn't they vaporize him? They aren't that advanced, sir. Aren't that advanced? Someone really could land there and enslave the planet, couldn't they, Timmy? Yes, sir. Easily. Hmm. I do have some free time this weekend. But let's move along, Timmy. Hmm. Also on May the 2nd, E. coli breaks out in Germany, leaving more than 30 people dead. Ha! Bacteria fights back against the oppressive macroorganisms. If they had had better security, the bacteria might not have broken out. What else? Ah, May the 6th, the U.S. Department of Labor states that 244,000 jobs were created, but unemployment was still on the rise. Ha! Typical mismanagement of the social system, seen it a million times. Isn't that right, Timmy? Oh, at least a million, sir. Yes, well, they obviously don't know that one of the secrets is to actually pay the employees a living wage so they have time to spend with their families and friends instead of being underpaid slaves. Isn't that right, Timmy? Yes, sir, that's correct. Hmm, on May the 7th, a movie. A movie? How quaint. 
called Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, released and made a shitload of money. Ha! A movie! Imagine that! On May 13th, Portugal enters recession and Romania leaves recession. Oh dear, who would want to enter recession? That place is awful! And if you don't have your paperwork in order and passport, they merely make it difficult to leave. Good on Romania for being able to leave recession. I remember when my wife booked our honeymoon in recession. Egads, that took forever to pay that trip off. Continuing on, sir. Yes, yes, of course. On May the 16th, the Space Shuttle Endeavour launches on its final mission into space. Oh, good, so they can leave their backward world. Those lucky bastards. It's only temporary. Excuse me? Their trip to space is only temporary. They have to return to Earth eventually. Oh, they get to leave the confines of their world, only doomed to return? I don't see the point, really. Why give them hope only to dash it against a planet? What a miserable existence. Yes, sir. Anyway, on May 19th, the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer was installed on the International Space Station. Wait, they hadn't figured out dark matter by then? Well, we know now it's not the proper terminology, and dark matter was pretty mundane, to be honest, and a huge disappointment, to be sure, but the science hasn't even gone that far. No, sir. In fact, last I heard, they're still pursuing accurate knowledge of it. Gah! Scientific simpletons! What else happened? On May the 20th, Macho Man Randy Savage dies of a heart attack? What? I thought he was still around. Man, he was amazing. My holo mirror reflects this image on my physique every morning, and I must say, I look damn good. Isn't that right, Timmy? Uh, yes, sir. Oh, remind me, Timmy, to order a case of those Slim Jims I love so much. What flavor did I order last time? Um, uh, aubergine haggis, sir, I do believe. Oh, right, that one was kind of a disappointment. Let's order another case of that flavor. Uh, bubblegum teriyaki. Yes, that was superb. Yes, sir. What other catastrophes occurred? Hmm. Oh, on May 22nd, a tornado travels through Joplin, Missouri, killing at least 158 people. It's the deadliest tornado on record. See, this is why you need a planetary weather-controlling station. You avoid these kind of things. Isn't that right, Timmy? Yes, sir. What else happened? May 22nd again. Oh, goodness, what a busy day. The 57th British Academy Television Awards, Sherlock, the best drama. Oh, yes, I love that show. What was the name of that actor? He was really good. Uh, Brandy Buck Bumpus Blatt? Mm, Blasphemy Charizard. Uh, no, no. Bendy Noodle Coffee Cup. No, I'll... Oh, I got it. Whippersnatch Chicken Strips. That's it. Benedict Cumberbatch is the name, sir. What? Buffalo Custard Bath? No, no. Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch? Are you sure? No, that can't be right. Maybe it was Honky Tonk Creamsicle. When Picnic Remembers next? Oh, well, never mind. It isn't important. Let's move on. Hmm. May 25th, Oprah Winfrey's last show. Nobody cares. Why is this even mentioned? And the rest of this is sports. So again, nobody cares. Wow, the rest of that month was a waste. Well, that's it for this edition of Backwater Planet History Month. Say goodnight, Timmy. Good night. Yes, thank you, Timmy. This is Blob Mandark for the Extra Galactic News Network saying goodnight and don't sleep too close to a black hole unless you want spaghetti in the morning. Can we get a better planet next time? That was awful. And only one day later, 
Dan Weldon wins the Indianapolis 500 in 2 hours, 56 minutes, and 11.7267 seconds. Wait, what? Whoa, that was a weird glitch. Computer, what are you doing? Do I need to update my drivers again? Huh. Well, anyway, let's talk about space. And specifically, I'd like to talk about Voyager. No, not the worst Star Trek series in history. I mean the NASA-run Voyager project, which ended up sending two satellites out beyond the protection of the sun itself. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 started out as part of the Mariner program, and thusly were designated Mariner 11 and Mariner 12. But they became different enough from the other Mariner satellites that they were redesignated to Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, and were essentially identical twins. They were intended to have similar goals as the Planetary Grand Tour program. Back in the 60s, we knew a lot less about the planets than we do now, and indeed, didn't even have good images of many of them, let alone specifics and features. Also back then, Pluto was still a planet instead of the new categorization it occupies now of dwarf planet. Thanks, Neil. Gary Flandreau, who was an aerospace engineer at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory at NASA, figured out that in the late 70s, the Jovian planets of Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, and the icy wasteland of Pluto would all be in relative alignment, making a visit to each one sequentially much simpler, though still complex, and more direct than usual. This alignment only occurs every 175 years. The alignment made traveling from one planet to another easier because Voyager could use the gravitational pull of the planet it's visiting to slingshot to where the next planet will be in its orbit of the Sun. This series of intercept missions would allow Voyager to achieve its goal without having to carry additional fuels because the slingshot maneuvers would increase its speed significantly. Both Voyager probes launched in 1977, though Voyager 2 launched first. Voyager 2's mission was to visit Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. When I say visit, I don't mean orbit the planet for a while and study the specifics before moving on, I mean a quick flyby to say hi and to get an idea of what the planet actually looks like in the process and move on to the next target. Voyager 1's mission was shorter in terms of scope, but it was also faster. Its mission was to visit Saturn and do a flyby of the moon Titan, whose thick atmosphere piqued the curiosity of scientists and those who wondered if it contained or could contain life. Both Voyager missions were a resounding success. Their telemetry was, and continues to be, transmitted back to Earth. This information has rewritten textbooks, answered many questions, proven or disproven many theories, and has opened up a door for a whole slew of new questions or theories. Voyager 1 and 2 end up exploring all of the Jovian planets in our solar system, the rings and magnetic fields of those planets, and 48 of their moons. For Voyager 1, the closest approach to Jupiter was on March 5, 1979, and for Saturn it was on November 12, 1980. For Voyager 2, its closest approach to Jupiter happened on July 9, 1979. For Saturn it was on August 25, 1981. For Uranus it was on January 24, 1986. And for Neptune it was on August 25, 1989. Interesting to note here, and this helps give an idea of the absolutely insane distances these planets are apart from each other, between Voyager 2 arriving at Saturn and arriving at Uranus was almost five years, and Voyager 2 arrives at Neptune eight years to the day after it arrived at Saturn. Each Voyager craft 
was specially equipped with a one-foot diameter golden phonograph record, each of which contains pictures and sounds from Earth. Also engraved onto them is the means to construct the device to play the record, and the time to spin the record at for proper playback, as well as the position of the Earth in the galaxy relative to certain pulsars, and a ton of other information. This is all gone into in the Wikipedia for the records, and it's all super geeky in its glorious ways, but perhaps too much so for this episode. Suffice to say that every care was taken so that a competent alien civilization, if one exists, could, in theory, decode everything on the record and have a basic understanding of our civilization. This whole endeavor was headed by the inimitable Carl Sagan. The Voyagers are the third and fourth man-made spacecraft to fly out past all the planets in the solar system. Before then, Pioneers 10 and 11 did it first. On February 17, 1988, Voyager 1 surpassed Pioneer 10 and is now the furthest away man-made object. Their distances from us have recently been measured and calculated, as recently as April 2020. As a precursor here, to clarify, 1 AU equals the distance from the Sun to the Earth. Voyager 1 is 22.3 billion kilometers away from the Sun, which is 149 AU, and it is exiting the solar system at around 3.6 AU per year. Voyager 2 is 18.5 billion kilometers away from the Sun, or 123.6 AU, and is exiting the solar system at about 3.3 AU per year. Now, the heliosphere is a kind of bubble around the inner solar system, and in a very basic way, it is created by solar winds pushing against the interstellar winds. The heliopause delineates the boundary between the heliosphere and interstellar space. Both spacecraft are now exploring the heliopause and are now at interstellar space. The heliopause generally is considered to be about 123 AU away from the Sun, whereas Neptune is only 30 AU away, and many agree that the heliopause is where the solar system ends. However, some people believe that the definition of the solar system is everything that orbits the Sun. This would include the Oort cloud. Now the Oort cloud is generally agreed to be a sphere of icy comet-like objects that orbit the Sun. But the Oort cloud is very, very far away and quite massive. For instance, and the estimates are a little rough, but it's generally thought that the inner boundary of the Oort cloud starts at about 3,000 AU away from the Sun, and its outer boundary is anywhere between 10,000 and 100,000 AU away from the Sun. And to get a better visual in your head, the sphere of the Oort cloud reaches out one quarter to one half of the way to the nearest star, Proxima Centauri. Voyager 1 is traveling at about a million miles a day. A day! It won't enter the inner reaches of the Oort cloud for about 300 years, and won't leave it for almost 30,000 years. Only then will it have truly left the solar system. Although, for the layman, and for all intents and purposes, both voyagers have left the known solar system, and they'll be powerless husks long before they even get there. All of the non-essential instruments of the probes have been switched off due to a combination of not being able to collect useful data and power management. Both probes were equipped with a triad of radioisotope thermoelectric generators, which used heat from decaying plutonium-238 to generate electricity. 
the half-life of plutonium-238 is 87.74 years, and so the satellites lose 0.79% of their total power output each year. On top of that, the device that converts thermal power into electricity degrades over time, which further reduces the amount of power produced. When they launched in 1977, they produced 470 watts at 30 volts direct current. By 2011, 34 years later, the power output had dropped to 267.9 watts for Voyager 1 and 269.2 watts for Voyager 2. It is estimated that by 2032, there may not even be enough power to communicate home. And then they'll be all alone in the cold void of interstellar space. Thank you for listening to the 10th episode of Sanity Optional. I apologize for the glitch earlier, and I'm not sure what happened there, but hopefully it won't happen again. I'll update my drivers and see if that fixes it for next time. Please leave any feedback at sanityoptionalpodcast at gmail.com or on reddit at r slash sanityoptional. I'm going to try and work on another 10 episodes. Not all at once, mind you. I also stream video games at twitch.tv slash silentsnooper, and I stream Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday from 9 a.m. Pacific. I do hope you can drop by and say hi. Thanks again, and I hope you have a great week. And stay sane if you want. It's optional.